we got a pretty cool topic today, push-pull. Glad those of you who are on the call are on the call because a few of you came to mind about who really needed to hear this. So let's just talk about real quick what is push-pull. Um, it's basically the the art of knowing when to show love and attraction and when to take it away. You're either pushing a girl away or you're pulling her towards you, right? So showing her love is the pull and not showing her love is pushing her away. Other people could also say you're like the opposite. You know, you could say, well, you're pulling away from her and pushing towards her, but you get the idea. <laughs> Just make sure whichever one you're describing it with is, is accurate. Before I talk about that, I want to talk about a, a different concept real quick that was brought up one, on like one of the very first calls we ever did. It's kind of the whole art of when we talk about being cool and what it takes to, to really become like awesome at the stuff. Um, and it was, um, like I said, talked about a real long time ago. We haven't really touched on it a whole lot since. We, we touched on it a little bit here and there in the group. Um, but if you don't have any of this shit down, you're going to have a, a lot of trouble getting to the point where you can even do significant amount of push-pull. Um, so we're going to talk about the three stages of cool and your ability to integrate with what we refer to as the cool kids is uh, crucial to being able to attract hot girls. So a lot of people think that hot, that, that cool is a group. And when we talk about cool kids, it's slightly misleading. So cool is not a group. It's a way of being. And we use it to describe what girls want. Girls want cool guys. If you're a nerd or a dork, they don't want that. So you can, you know, identify with those groups. But at the end of the day, remember, they're looking for what they would describe as cool. There's no real great way to describe it. So we'll just use cool, for lack of a better word. So there's three stages of cool. Um, the first one, we'll call it the base, like your cool base. You can also call it like the cool gene. Um, you can argue that some people are born with it. I would argue against that. I would say people that have a cool base learn it really quickly from their parents. Like if you were to line up 10 black dudes living in LA with 10 white dudes living with LA, Max, how many would you oh think? Oh my God, would? 100%. <laughs> the black dudes would all have the cool base, right? And maybe one or two of the white kids will. And that's just a function of society, culture, um, you know, obviously growing up in like, you know, as a black kid, like odds are, you know, it's a very like mm -hmm. social sort of culture. Um, also superficial. Um, so more emphasis is placed on what you're wearing and how you're wearing it um, into your adulthood. Whereas a lot with, I feel like with, with white people, generally speaking, parents give up you know, in terms of looking cool. I know my parents did. They're still wearing the same things that they used to. Yeah. <laughs> um, whereas, you know, black parents are still relatively, like, attempting to look cool. And it's like, you know, a dad wearing Jordans and having his baby son wear Jordans too. Totally. Yeah, so fashion is going to be a huge part of it. And then if you look at, like, Asian culture, mm -hmm. they're going to be, you know, one out of 100. And that's just a function of, you know, what that 
culture values. Um, you know, hard work, education, like kind of the opposite <laughs> of cool, you know, black kids are usually out there like playing sports, basketball, team sports, um, dealing with confrontation, uh, all those things while, you know, Asian American kids are a little bit more sheltered, studying all the time, learning violin, right? So it's it's not surprising to me that there's a huge percentage of, of guys that come to me are Asian, Jewish. Um, yeah, it's just kind of how it goes. So the base, um, you know, you're not born with it, but you 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 learn it from the people you hang out with at a young age. And you always know someone who has the cool base because it's pretty obvious that they don't give a fuck. People who are naturally cool are indifferent about most things. They don't get too excited about stuff. On the other hand, geeks, dorks, they get really excited about things that aren't a big deal. Like, oh my God, the new Halo came out. Let's fucking, <laughs> let's throw a party. Like, they're really excited about shit that's just not that big of a deal. So this is base level cool. And a lot of these guys are referred to as naturals. They kind of just know what to do all the time. They don't give a shit what you think. They're really good with women. They have no problem picking up chicks and they kill it when they're out on the weekend. So if you're listening to this, odds are you were not born with cool with a cool base. <laughs> I wasn't either, so don't feel bad. Um, so that stage, you know, that that's the base. The next stage of cool is, I don't know, you can call it, call it ease. Um, you can tell if someone is stage two cool if you feel comfortable around them. If you feel relaxed, if they put other people at ease, that person is probably cool. It means they have the ability to, to, to be a chameleon. They can adapt to pretty much any social situation and fit in with any crowd. Um, and more importantly, these guys don't make you feel awkward. Geeks, dorks are going to make you feel awkward because they're awkward. They're uncomfortable with themselves and emotions are contagious. But cool people who are comfortable with themselves, they're going to put you at ease because they feel comfortable already. So when you get to that point, women just kind of intuitively know that you're the type of guy that they date. Um, they feel comfortable around you. They feel, and if they feel comfortable, they're usually going to connect and open up and, you know, make themselves available to you. And um, you, you'll be able to see it when they're in conversations. So if you have the base and the ease, you can do really well. And um, the last stage is what we call the trimmings. And this is kind of the most basic level of cool, the entry level of cool, you could say. Um, when I say trimmings, I'm talking about your clothes, your physical appearance, 95% of the time. Um, you know, geeks and nerds are wearing clothes that are too big for them, baggy, uh, terrible style. It gives away that they're not cool. So unless you're a celebrity, you know, millionaire businessman, or you have something really, something else like really awesome going for you, you have to dress well to attract girls. And, um, you know, there's no excuse for dressing like an idiot. Absolutely none. It, you know, it's, it's mind boggling to me that people just like fight against us on some of our fashion advice. And if you don't have at least the trimmings, like it doesn't matter if you have the base and the ease, it'll, it'll, you're still going to look like you're not cool and you won't even get through the door. Um, I guarantee that you're never going to meet a nine who's dating an out of shape, poorly dressed dude, unless he's super loaded or has some other sort of shit going on for him. So, you know, make sure you have your trimmings down, go to the gym, get some clothes that fit. And, um, you know, don't fool yourself. Don't be that fucking guy who says, 
I just want to meet a nice girl who doesn't buy into all this cool stuff. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> that, that, that is just like settling in life and it makes me nauseous. Like you have one life to live according to most standards. And with that one <laughs> life, like you should obtain, you should be seeking the best no matter what, the hottest, the coolest, the smartest, etc. And settling for a nice chick and like, and factoring in that maybe she's a five or a six is bullshit. Like, if you have your foundation down correct, and you know, assuming that none of you were born um, mm-hmm. cool in the way Robbie described, I would imagine your foundation needs to be rock fucking hard, and you need to be, you know, around some cool people in your social circle to achieve those levels. And that's what we're we're discussing. Yeah, and we call that cognitive dissonance, but we don't call it that. Psychologists call it that. Um, that's a technical name for basically because I don't have it, I don't want it. And that's total fucking bullshit. Right. I hate it when guys, Oh, I just want to meet a nice girl. I don't buy, you know, this stuff. Um, I have a buddy named Joel who he has money. He's a good looking guy, but he dresses like a total fucking idiot. He wears big baggy clothes, gross whitewashed jeans. He's same balding. Old hat. Same old ass hat. He's balding. And he refuses to adapt. And his conclusion is always one of cognitive dissonance saying, no, I don't buy into all that stuff. It's, it's retarded. Like, all you would have to do is either shave his head, get a hair to his plant, and dress well. And the guy's a good looking dude. He's actually a cool guy. Like, what's crazy is that dude's loaded, and that dude is a fucking genius. So, with yeah. being loaded and genius, I've never seen him with a girl in, in my life, and I've never seen him like talk about girls because he doesn't have that level of confidence socially, which is fucking wild. It's, it's absolutely mind boggling to me, like how stubborn he is. So, don't be that fucking guy. All right. Um, you know, don't conclude that you can't have something, so therefore you don't like it. No one wants to hang out with a fucking hater. Hottest chicks that you'll, you'll meet, they spend at least an hour a day working out. You should too. If you want to get girls who are fit, smart, and have money, you have to dress well, be in shape. Don't kid yourself. So, you know, not everyone is born with the cool gene or the cool base, but you can take steps to improve all that. That's why you guys are here in the program. Um, and once you kind of get all those things down, once you have the base, the ease, the trimmings, when you have all that stuff down, you're going to be in a position where girls are going to find you attractive, you know, a decent percentage of the time. And when they do, now you're in a bit, now you're in a situation where you can game them, you can push pull. You know, if you're not getting any phone numbers or any dates, you don't have a lot of. <laughs> I also I believe that that base and all that stuff and the trimmings are important. But I also urge you to put yourself in situations that are outside of your comfort zone to be around cool people. Um, and, you know, outside of taking advantage of our workshops, there's places and venues that you may not go to um, because you'd be blown out based on what you're wearing or what you say or your topic of conversation. You know, once you start gaining that confidence and that foundation, that's when you should be going and kind of observing what these people are doing. If you went with me tonight to Drake's tournament manager's house on Malibu on the beach, None of you would survive. You'd get laughed out and I'd get fucking shit for bringing you to the party because the foundation needs to be there. You need to look the part. I read one of, one of my invited guests, you know, I even, he's, a, he's an actor and a model and I even prepped him just on like what to wear so he doesn't stick out among this very trendy, you know, cool group. This is the cool kids all hanging out. And I think that, you know, there's just a, 
that the osmosis that we, we, you know, do in this group is super important to understanding how I, how I calculate things, how I approach certain situations, what my level of coolness is. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's different, like Maxwell said, there, there's different venues, like how you dress and how you behave when you're hanging out with Drake's tour manager at a party house in Malibu is going to be different than how you dress and behave. If you are going to say, um, the, the guy in Shark Tank, um, Mark Cuban's house. Yeah. You're going to Mark Cuban's house. Who's also definitely a cool guy. He, I mean, he's more of a dork, but he's confident as fuck and you can get pretty much any girl he wants. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's a different type of cool. That's like entrepreneur cool. Right. But you guys should be able to recognize those things. And the only way to really become, you know, the only way to get that cool base is through osmosis. It's really the only way you have to hang out with people that are cool, cooler than you. And what's tough is, you know, there's that whole dork force field that we talk about. You know, anyone who's cool has a force field around them. Like, why would I go out with a dorky guy who's only going to slow me down and stop my objective of meeting other cool people and banging hot chicks? Like, where's my, where's my incentive there? Unless you're rendering some sort of service, like you're building my website and we become friends and then, you know. I think it's a justification that I've been in situations like that where I can justify within my social setting who this person is um, if they don't necessarily fit the mold. But, like, ultimately, like, I have no motivation to do so. Um, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And spending significant amount of time around people that really get the stuff that, that are cool like your game will catapult to a whole new level. And it's amazing the, the, the amount of work that I do to pull chicks now, it, it is no work. It just fucking happens as a result of all the work I've done in the past. Like there is almost no game involved. <laughs> and I'll, I'll demonstrate that by telling you, Maxwell and I are going to tell you a couple stories of push pull. Um, to give you guys an idea of how it works, different circumstances, um, and how like the cool factors play into push pull. So the first one I want to tell um, is, you know, just a it, it's a good story. I'm sure some of you guys have heard it before, but it's a great example of push pull. It's basically how I hooked up with Genevieve, um, and then Maxwell is going to tell one. We'll go back and forth, and if you guys have any, if we have time left you can tell those stories and we can give you feedback on them. Um, but just to give you guys a quick backstory, I met Genevieve through Jesse. Um, I was up in San Francisco hanging out with him and on a Sunday night, he was busy doing whatever. He gave me a couple numbers in his phone to text. <laughs> and one of those happened to be Genevieve. Um, and basically said, you know, text these girls and try to get them out at a, try to hang out with him tonight. They had no fucking idea who I was. Like he did not text them for me and say, my buddy Robbie's going to text. So Genevieve's name stood out to me and we had a, a flirty bantery back and forth text conversation for a couple hours where I was calling her Guinevere. Um, and uh, this was back in like 2007 or 2008. Didn't really get the chance to hang out with her um, for any extended period like never didn't see her that night and I didn't actually hang out with her until May of 2013 <laughs> so five years later where she came down to stay at our place and write the fashion guide and um 
when she showed up, I was sitting on the couch, I think like watching TV, petting Wiley. And she comes in, she had been drinking. She shows up at like two in the afternoon with her friend, Aliza. And um, she like, I called her Hurricane Genevieve because she like spun into the house like a Tasmanian devil. And she was like, where do we put our stuff? What do we do? What do we do? And I just basically ignored her because I knew she was being an attention whore chick. And I had seen that sort of move before. Instead of sucking her dick and be like, oh, let me help you with your stuff, I kind of just ignored her. She came over to the couch. She asked me, like, a couple questions. And my answer was like, I don't know. Talk to (laughs) Jesse. And then that whole day, you know, she was hanging out the house. We were hanging out. At one point, we had a gym in our garage. So I was working out. She was out there smoking. And, um, you know, hanging out, chilling, drinking. You know, she was kind of, like, on vacation. So we never went to San Francisco. And I noticed a few times that she saw me working out, but I didn't really engage her in conversation. You know, I was just normal, cool. Like I didn't treat her like any, I didn't treat her like a hot chick. I just treated her like I would treat any other guy or girl in that situation. So later that night, um, a few more friends came over and we all went out to Laura Hardware. Justin came out with us. Um, A couple other guys who were solid with chicks came out and right away, she was giving like Justin a lot of love on the patio. I remember noticing that she was giving him signals and I think Sherbon was there. Basically, I just, again, ignored her, did my own thing, was talking to chicks, didn't like actively ignore her like a dick, just didn't give her attention like to show that, you know, I don't really care. Later that night, we all came back to our place and one of my buddies was there who was acting like a total goofball. And the first kind of like, funny interaction that I had with Genevieve was that we were kind of making fun of him without him knowing. And this created a little bit of a connection. And when he left, well, back up a second. So (laughs) he left, I fell asleep on the table, like sitting on a chair with my head on the table. Um, And then, you know, I was probably asleep for 15, 20 minutes. And what tipped me off, the first signal of like real attraction she gave me is when she woke me up. She woke me up, like started rubbing my head and she was like, Hey, like, let me, let me help you get to bed. And right when that happened, my adrenaline kicked in. I was like, Ooh, we've got a live one. (laughs) Cause no girl's going to bother to do that unless she's into it. And it was like the end of the night, I already had information that she was horny and she like, hadn't been laid in a while and she was like kind of on the rebound from her ex. So I essentially created like a miniature date right then and there. I was like, no, I'm not tired anymore. Let's keep drinking. Had a few drinks. We had like a drink. And then I suggested we smoke hookah at a hookah setup. Um, we set it up outside on the patio. Her friend, Eliza was also smoking. And then I needed to get rid of her cause she was kind of cock blocking. Um, So at one point I told Genevieve to come up in my room and I wanted to show her some funny YouTube videos that were kind of in context with the conversation we were having around hookah. Um, Went upstairs, started watching YouTube videos, made out and had sex. So basically it was a lot of push, like pushing her away by just showing pretty much no interest at all until the roles reversed or the the tables turned. And then she started showing me love. It's not surprising because what will happen in these social situations 
when, you know, and, and this is a, a very specific situation where she was staying with me. She knew who I was. I'm a friend of a friend who she thinks is cool already. So I have that social proof. And when you have social proof and when you're in that situation, gaming a girl, like trying to give her attention, make her laugh, connect with her, like all of those things can make you look like you're trying way too hard. And if you pull too much, if you pull her towards her too much too early, it just shows that you're desperate. So I did the opposite. I just played it totally cool and waited till she came to me. And then as soon as she did, I capitalized on the situation. And then I kind of turned it into a date, just like we talk about in, in the dating protocol. You know, we talk about the how to navigate a date. It was on one of the earlier podcasts. Essentially, that's what I did. I just didn't start it till 2.30 in the morning. So that's the first story. Maxwell, so uh, this, this story happened uh, last spring um, on a day off in Atlanta on tour. I was being taken out with a couple of Atlanta artists, um, and I took a couple of the artists on tour out as well as some of my crew. We went to like a really late brunch and did like champagne bottles afterwards, um, but we're like being hosted by these like promoter slash artist dudes in Atlanta, like really hipster crowd. Um, a lot of girls were there. They all knew where we were from and most of them weren't phased because they were already friends of artists. So it wasn't really a thing about playing the fact that you were on tour. Everyone was on an even playing field, which I think is important to note. Um, so getting close to like six o'clock and people were starting to talk about, um, you know, dinner in an hour or so. And we, we ordered one more champagne bottle and the group of girls who we were with, we're like sevens and eights, like cute, totally would fuck, um, but not like out of this world, particularly for Atlanta, which I find Atlanta has a lot of hot girls in. Um, all of a sudden, these two girls come out of a car and are greeted by the guys who are hosting us. And one of them is like a nine and a half, like just fucking smoke show, but also has the personality and is alive and like, you know, is, is talking the right way is like holding herself like she's a, you know, like a guy in terms of like conversation, just like all around really attractive girl. Um, and everyone's paying attention to her. I, I soon find out the girl is visiting from Miami. She's originally from Atlanta and these are all our friends from back at home. Um, but she happens to be there for the weekend. So I introduce myself and leave it at that, like very, just like, um, social etiquette, but not, I don't even ask any question. I just say, Hey, I'm Max. And she says, Hey, I'm Kendall. Um, and we go, go on an hour goes by and we all get Ubers to go to this dinner place where we're going to get tapas. And there's probably like 12 of us. I choose to, uh, go in one car and let all my guy friends go together. Um, and the girl and her friend ended up getting in the car with me with one other gay guy. And um, this is an opportunity for me to DJ in the car, but also just kind of like casually speak to them, but not forced because we're in a car. So you have to make conversation. So I give a little background of who I am. I flex a little bit about what I'm doing there. And then I'm running a tour, you know, with Cruella. And, you know, she tells me about um, she's in real estate, but also, you know, works at a club in Miami. And that's about the extent of it. We get to the place and our reservation is for 20 minutes. So we're all getting drinks. I ignore her at the bar. And then we all go to sit. You could tell all the other guys were interested in there, particularly the host. And um, I was mindful of this. So I like, I went and sat on the empty side of the, of like the table area that we were sitting at to try to just like let people choose where they were going to sit. Um, 
and people started sitting down and she ended up going to the bathroom and coming back and sitting right next to me. And the whole time I'm like, yo, I'm going to let the host do his thing. Like he clearly is interested in her. He's showing love. So I'm, I, again, I've, I kind of put a cold vibe out and let everyone else get her attention at the table during dinner. Um, probably 25 minutes go by and I'm like making sure I'm speaking to my buddy red on the right of me and ignoring her on the left and having a deep conversation about something about business. Eventually our meals come out and I start to turn my body and start having a conversation with her. And this is the time where um, I really give, give in a little bit in terms of like allowing her to know who I am. And I kind of push in terms, or sorry, I pull like in terms of like getting her on board with who I am and like that I'm a sensitive guy and kind of playing off of the cocky energy that's at the table with the other artists. She starts falling for it and like getting more interested in um, allowing me to like physically touch her a little bit um, sitting next to her at this tablet table. And, um, and so that goes and we have a, a great repertoire and then um, everyone's like, all right, where are we going out next? And uh, the promoters and all these dudes want to go one place. Uh, the girls want to go somewhere else. The promoter and some of the other girls get in the car with the artist and they all like, like meet us here. And Kendall was again in the bathroom. She comes out and her friend is waiting there. And my buddy Loggy stayed back with me. And she's like, yo, let's ditch them and go to this uh, warehouse party. I was like, cool. But Loggy was one of the other guys who was kind of flirting with her. And Loggy is an Abercrombie model. Like that dude is like pivotal, like D1 football player, musician, rock star, and a model. And like no competition. Like anytime I get in a situation where it's like a seven and a nine, I immediately allow the, the, the artist to get the nine and I'll go for the seven. It's just kind of like uh, a respect thing. And I, we started going to this party and it became immediately evident to Loggy that Kendall was into me. And so we went to the party and we held hands and we escalated and Loggy played that, the role of, of the, the wingman. And so we, after the party and getting a little bit drunk, we Ubered back to our tour bus, showed them the tour bus. They all smoked. Um, I, I started making out with her at the party and continued to in the bus. And then we convinced them to come up to our hotel room. What Loggy really played the card was that the other girl was like 20, I want to say, maybe 21, but a virgin. Like, really pretty girl. Again, like a seven, but a virgin. So he was like, already knew he wasn't going to smash, but he played the team player, got us up there. And um, we, we went upstairs to the hotel room. And they want to order food, so we order food. And um, and then Loggy's like, why don't we go pick up the um, the the food? And so he strategically leaves the room with the girl. And I go from having just made out to convincing her to fuck me and being able to fuck her, where, like, given the, the start of the night, there was no reason why I should have. And given the push and pull that I did throughout the course of the night, giving her attention and not, it led to me fucking her because I kind of put her on that roller coaster. So I just remembered another story. The next story I'm going to tell, so both of those stories were social circle situations, you know, where you meet a girl through friends and you have that third party validation, that social proof. Um, this story is a girl that I met out cold approach. I was in Amsterdam with uh, a client, a former member of the group, actually. And we were doing like a a one-on-one -on -one weekend together, staying at his place in his extra bedroom. We went out to, uh, what's that, uh, Light Supplying, 
which is like a fun party area of Amsterdam. So it was like a Saturday night, I think. Went to a, a bar like pretty early on. Saw two girls sitting at the bar, both hot. He approached them. Um, don't remember what he said exactly, but I came over and used the standard like, hey, I'm the wingman that shows up late. And we quickly kind of paired off. His girl was slightly Indian, like not full Indian, but maybe she was half and he's like half Indian too. So they, the Indians found each other. <laughs> and then I, uh, I paired off with the other chick. So what was like a four person conversation quickly became like a two on two. And I wasn't mm-hmm. getting like any sort of physical love, but she was really interested in everything I had to say. She was laughing at all my jokes. And I was just kind of touching her when it was easy. And when I noticed that, and when I say easy, I mean, I was standing like kind of side by side with her and emphasizing points that kind of touch on the shoulder or on the arm. And I noticed I wasn't getting any touching back. So I immediately, like after like three tries where she didn't touch me back or, you know, she hadn't touched me and I touched her like three times, I stopped touching her altogether. And I knew it would be stale if we stayed at that place too long. So we decided to go from there to more of like a clubby party sort of environment. And Amsterdam's weird. Like you don't have like the standard, like, you know, LA, New York sort of clubs. They're more like, how do you describe them? Like European clubs are, you know, there's usually like a cover and then there's like, this place was multi-level. There was like two different dance areas with like different DJs. One was playing house and it was playing rap. And then there was like a downstairs, more of loungy type of area. So just like I talk about in the, in the dating protocol, you know, the next stop on a date would be like a lounge, right? The first stop's drinks, next stop's like a lounge. Um, But there were four of us and we were kind of on this double date. So what I did was we all, we all got drinks and then we went and found a table and I said, let's play never have I ever, which is kind of like the questions game. Um, and uh, I'm sure everyone's played Never Have I Ever. It's a very simple game. You just go around the circle saying, Never Have I Ever Done X, Y, Z. And you start with all 10 of your fingers. And every time, you know, you have done one of those things, you put your finger down. And whoever has all their fingers down first loses and has to, like, you know, usually every time you put a finger down, you have to take a shot. Um, and then if you lose, like, maybe you have to buy a round of drinks. So I think that's what we did. And the conversation got you know, obviously it starts like, you know, kind of, uh, kind of innocent. And then it turns sexual. And I could tell that during that conversation, my girl was getting pretty excited. The other girl was getting a little bit more turned on, but it came out that she was more, she was actually a virgin, um, Ian's girl and my girl definitely was not. So I knew right away what the play was. I knew we had to divide and conquer. So, I, um, I pulled Ian aside and I was like, all right, here's the deal. Your girl's a virgin. Mine's, you know, clearly down a lot more down to party. Um, let's try to get them kind of one-on-one. And, you know, if we meet back at your place later, then, you know, that's, that's the play. So I suggest to my girl that she helped me go buy drinks. Um, cause I lost the game. I was like, Hey, help me carry the drinks back. So, at the bar, I made out with her. Um, right before that happened, she I think we I grabbed her hand and led her over to the bar and she like interlaced fingers with me. 
So I could tell that she was attracted. We made out at the bar and then came back, delivered the drinks. And, and I said, Hey, I'm kidnapping your friend. We're, we're going to go to the dance floor. We'll be right back. So we went up to the dance floor and basically had like a 30 to 45 minute makeout party <laughs> on the dance floor. At one point we like, it was an empty DJ booth on like the other side of the room that wasn't being used. We were like on the floor of the DJ booth, like grinding on each other and hooking up. Mm-hmm. Um, and a few different times I was like, this is really uncomfortable. Let's, <laughs> let's get out of here. Let's go somewhere else. And, and she was giving resistance to that. She's like, no, I don't want to go. I want to stay. It's so much fun. Um, but I'd seen this sort of play out before. And I knew that if we stayed there, then it would just be making out and like a crazy night of making out. And that's all it would be. So I knew I needed, you know, a different kind of strategy. Mm-hmm. So at one point I was like, Hey, so I know you're from Toronto. She was Canadian. Are you from Toronto? Have you experienced the bike riding culture of Amsterdam yet? You know, everyone rides bikes in Amsterdam. She's like, no. I'm like, well, I've been dying to take a girl on the back of my bike and show her around the city. Call me a romantic dork, but let's do that. And I want to do that right now. And she's like, okay, I'm in, let's go. And she's like, wait, what about my friend? I'm like, no, don't worry. We'll like drop you off right back here. So she gets on the back of my bike. It's like a rented, you know, tourist bike. <laughs> I'm drunk. Basically, I ride straight back to Ian's place. At one point, I ran into a, mm-hmm. a curb like straight on. <laughs> she was sitting on the metal part of the bike and it like... <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't comfortable to say the least when I hit that curb. Luckily we didn't fall off the bike, but I was like, Oh, look, we happen to be back at my friend's house. Let me text them and tell them to come meet us and we'll after party. And she's like, okay, fine. I see your tricks. So we get into the house, mm-hmm. go into the bedroom. And she was giving like, even that she was like all over me at the bar. But like, once we're in the bedroom, it was like, you know, the, the brakes were on hardcore. So this is when the kind of the push pull stuff really came into effect, you know, in terms of getting sexual. So at first I was, you know, pulling a little bit too much. I was, you know, trying to escalate, trying to like wandering hands and she was doing all the typical block moves. So then I kind of changed my tactics. I like rolled over and I had told her that I was a dating coach, which also certainly made her a little bit more apprehensive about hooking up. And I was like, you know, it really sucks when I tell girls I'm a dating coach because then they think that I'm just like trying to hook up with them. and like, don't care. And there's another notch in the bedpost. I'm like, no, but I really had like an awesome night with you. You're super cool. Love to hang out. Like after this, like I, I basically, I started went into connection mode and, and made it obvious that it wasn't just about hooking up. I was like, like whether we hook up now or later, like, I like you, you like me, eventually we'll hook up. So there's like no rush. And once I like pumped the brakes and kind of pushed her away, it gave her the opportunity to come towards me. And then she got like really wild, like stripped down to basically just her panties. And then all of a sudden, like right before we were about to have sex, she's like, no, I can't do this. And she like runs out of the room, um, <laughs> runs out of the room. And at that point, Ian was there with, with her friend 
and they were like in his bedroom and he was dealing with a similar sort of <laughs> situation. Um, I like went to see what all the commotion was and she was trying to basically like massively cock block Ian <laughs> with his girl. <laughs> and um, I, uh, I don't know what I, I don't really remember exactly what I did. I think I was like, you know, let's chill out. Let's have a drink. So we like went into the kitchen. I was like, let them do their thing. Like they're both, mm-hmm. you know, she's a virgin. I think I like made some silly comment. Like, you know, he's, he's been a virgin since Tuesday. You know, he just lost his virginity or I don't know what I said, but some, something ridiculous and over the top. that was clearly a joke. And that kind of like eased her off. And then we go back into the bedroom and this is where the story gets a little graphic, but <laughs> I started, um, you know, she was still like only wearing her underwear. And I, I don't know if I made some comment or not, but I basically I started fingering her butt. And right when I did it, she was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. You found my spot. Oh my God. And she, <laughs> she basically started like getting like insanely turned on. But at the same time, she was really self-conscious and embarrassed that she liked it in the butt. And then she basically demanded that I put it in her butt and then we had sex. <laughs> and then afterwards she was like, Oh my God, I can't believe we did that. I have to go. I have to go. I have to go. <laughs> She's like, I really like you. Wait, I want to stay. Like you can see the like the torment in her, in her head. Like, Oh my God, I did this thing that was so hot. But I like, I'm mad at myself cause I'm mm-hmm. judgy and you know, she wasn't as sexually liberated in the mind as she was <laughs> in the body. But, just a crazy example of push pull and you know, the, the sort of things that, that typically happen now in any other situation, if I knew I'd be able to see that girl again easily, she was leaving like the next morning to fly back to Toronto. And I knew there was no chance to see her again unless like our, our path crossed with a lot of uh, effort involved. So that's why I was like more aggressive and doing more like hardcore push pull stuff till late in the evening. And I would never have done that with a girl who lived in the same city who I could have easily seen again, just to give you guys a frame of reference. So one more story. Do you want me to do a Tinder one? Yeah. <laughs> so on tour, um, I use Tinder a lot. Typically it's um, the night of a show. I'll swipe all day and then guest list a couple of girls on Tinder. And if it works out, I'll try to get them on the bus afterwards. If I get something else, no harm, no foul. Um, this is a night off um, in St. Louis between a, like a 14 or 16 hour drive from Dallas, Texas to Detroit, Michigan. Um, we had a night off in Detroit and I had been tindering um, as soon as I got there, matched with a girl. She's like 7.5, maybe eight, like great pictures, but figured it wasn't, she wasn't going to be as like as hot in real life. Um, pretty easy to get get the dinner. I thought I was like kind of locked in and it was like an easy DTF because she knew I was only here for a night. She was somehow connected to the music industry. I get, I agree to do dinner with her, which I never do. And so I sit down and she like prefaced the introductions that she never does this um, on Tinder, that she thought it'd be cool to meet someone in the music industry and that she's not going to have sex with me. Like off the bat, like really like awkward like conversation and you know she's going to have sex with you because she wouldn't have prefaced it with that if she wasn't thinking about it so (laughs) 
I had nothing to lose here. The girl who I had fucked in St. Louis last time was already hanging out with my friend and I teed it up so that I could see that chick later in the night. So I had a backup plan no matter what. This, at this point, I was like, okay. <laughs> and so I just said, cool. And um, went along with it, but really emphasized the we're just friends card, like overly emphasized and sold it like I can't believe I made a new friend and, and really kind of reinforced that throughout the meal. Um, the irony of the whole situation was she was so determined that this wasn't me fucking her and that she was just meeting someone. When I went to the bathroom, she paid for my meal. She paid for the whole meal. That never happened, had happened before. So, so I was like, cool. Like, it was like, a, yeah, it was like a decent place. She's like, see, now it's not a date. We're just friends having I bought you. Um, and I bought you dinner and you could take me to one of your shows next time you're in town. I was like, cool. So I was like, I was like, all right, well, all my friends are up on the rooftop of our hotel. Do you want to come back there? She's like, well, I was hoping I get to see your tour bus before. I was like, okay, cool. So I showed her the tour bus and she ended up kissing me when we were like alone. Like I was going through and I turned around and she kissed, like she went to kiss me. So we made it out and clearly this wasn't friends. <laughs> and so I like strategically like get her to the rooftop, but delayed it enough that most of my friends had gone to a bar or something like that. So no one was up there. Not risking meeting up with that other chick who was there and was ready to fuck me who I already fucked before. So we get up there, we drink some more. I keep playing the friend card, you know, playing the like, you know, industry thing. And, um, you know, then she, she, I'm like, all right, well, I think I'm going to go meet with my friends, you know, since this is just like a, a friend day. Um, and, and you have, you have work tomorrow. So you have to go, you have to go to work. She's like, she's like, no, I don't have to go. She's like, she's like, what hotel room are you in? And clearly, like at that point, it was like, okay, like I know that she wants it, and uh, was able to transition to the the hotel room. And I, she was so into fucking me at that point that I have like a great video of me fucking her, like from like with one hand, my iPhone was in my hand, and I'm fucking her straight on, putting the camera in her face. And then I flipped her over and still filming it. Like a chick I've never met before. She clearly can see it. The phone is on. And then I just sent it to my group chat on tour afterwards. <laughs> so the point of the conversation was like not to be derailed from the, like, we're not having sex thing, but also the push and pull. And I played into her own game and made her so self-conscious that I wasn't into her, that she had to be aggressive and forward on, on her end, which ended up working in my benefit. Yeah, girls will get, like, especially hot girls, you know, they're used to getting nothing but nonstop love and attention from guys. So when they meet a guy who they think is cool and he's not giving them that same love and attention, he's just treating them like any other person, any other human being, like they're they are gonna want that validation and they'll often like basically just come after you super hard so whenever you can put yourself in that situation it's you know it's game over so hopefully those stories kind of illustrated some ideas of push pull you know there's like i said there's thousands hundreds of thousands millions of moves like she does this i do that she says this i say that she moves here I go there. She sits at this seat. I sit there and tell my wingman to sit there. Like there's thousands of moves and you have to spend a lot of time, 
you know, in the field, <laughs> um, practicing, go, hanging out with cool guys, getting the osmosis, seeing what they do, um, you know, to really become like proficient at consistently creating attraction and, and connecting with beautiful women. It's, it's not, uh, you know, I'm going to go to a three day boot camp and figure this shit out type of nonsense which is unfortunately peddled in this stupid seduction industry. Um, you know, it takes a lot of practice and a lot of learning. It's a body of work. And that's why this group membership is, you know, two hours, uh, two years, sorry, two hours, two years just to graduate. And then another year to become a moderator. And then even once you're a moderator status, like you guys know the other moderators, like they're constantly trying to improve. It's a, it's a lifelong kind of journey. Um, always improving yourself as a guy. So let's um, open it up to questions, um, stories, anything you guys want. Are there any like specific questions about any of the stories we told? Um, or the concepts of being cool. Yeah. Because maybe some of you thought you were cool. <laughs> okay, so I got, I got this push-pull situation going on right now. It's pretty, it's, it, it's fun actually. It, it, it's not intentional by default, but totally push pull and she's loving it. She's like pursuing me now. I'm so used to pushing all the time. It's refreshing. But so basically, um, she's kind of a friend of a friend, friend of an ex girlfriend. And, um, we're not friends with this other person anymore. Neither of us are. We're not talking to her and we're not friends with her anymore, but there is that element because she doesn't want to cause a problem with her friend. And, and even though she's not really her friend anymore, she's not my friend anymore. But so I'm kind of, I told her I'm backing off because I don't want any drama. So as soon as I said that, she's like, whoa, you're, she's like, uh, let's just be friends. Uh, let's, let's hang out. I'm like, oh, okay. Cause she's pretty hot and she has hot friends. So, I'm just kind of hesitant, just kind of taking a backseat to it. What do you think about that? Should I, should I, should I decide that that mutual friend of ours that used to be our friend no longer a friend and proceed, or should I um, tell her no, let's just be friends and and um, we'll all hang out with her and her girlfriends because her girlfriends are even hotter. What do you what do you suggest there? Oh. I'm a little confused on the, the relationship between her, the mutual friend. Wait, so correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you guys have a mutual friend. She didn't want to complicate things. So she said to you, like, let's just be friends. No, I said that to her. But you said that to her and now, and she said what? So now she's she showing said, you love? Well, let's just, yeah, she said, well, let's just be friends. Um, it's all good. I got, she said she has friends that, that she wants to introduce me to and hang out with with me, and she wants to go on the boat. So she's got three friends already that we're gonna go. We plan on going out on the boat on Memorial Day. So, so you kind of pulled away and said, "Let's just be friends," and she agreed. But I don't understand why now you feel like she's giving you love. I saw her today. Yeah, and she said she's she's like, "Wow!" She's like, send me sends me this text about how. She thinks I'm super cute, and she's like, "Wow, all this stuff like, gushing over me." I don't know, whatever, I was wearing my basketball shorts, and I showed up in my red car. It's the mentality of that a girl thought Thomas is a shoe in, 
and as soon as he kind of, you know, pushed away, um, that, that she became, she like realized that she might uh, need to try or something like that, you know, like, right. That's not a shoe in. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see you post that, that, um, message in the group just so we can, you know, get a little bit more insight into what's going on with her to make sure you're going to decipher her communication correctly. Um, but yeah, I, I think you just keep doing what you're doing. You, ha- you have her bring her friends, um, you know, out on your boat. I would say that if you do hook up with her friend, it's just going to make her want to hook up with you more. It's happened many, many times where I was like, you know, either in the friend zone with a girl or I put myself in the friend zone or she put me in the friend zone and I hooked up with one of her friends and all of a sudden she wanted to hook up with me. You know, girls get jealous and, and uh, they might not see you as someone they want until they realize that someone else got you. So I think definitely that's the play because, you know, if you eventually want to hook up with her, you can hook up with all of her friends first, or you can hook up with none of them. Yeah, and yeah I like that. So, cause yeah, cause I could hook up with her right away if I wanted to. She, she's already said that she wants, she wants to go swimming and whatever. And, and she wants to see me like tonight. But I could I could um, push away from that or pull away from that and say, well, no, we plan to hang out with all her friends and then and then um, just hang out with her friends first and then maybe later her and I. Yeah, I dig that. I like that play. Right, yeah, look, I'm going to practice this whole thing. It's going to be good. Cool. Yeah, keep us posted on what happens. Good question. Other questions, guys? Um, I had a question about the specific story out about Genevieve. When you were saying that you were doing that whole, like, ignoring uh, tactic and just not really showing any love, was that, were you doing any touching during that, that time, or was it just, um, or were you just, like, interacting with her like you were a guy, like, completely, like, no touching until later on? Yeah, zero touching. Wasn't even really talking to her. You know, it was a group of probably six or seven of us. And, you know, at the house that day, there were, you know, Ken and Cameron were doing a live-in. And it was me and Jesse. Some other girls were there hanging out. Genevieve, her friend. So, you know, there was a bunch of people at the house. So it was just kind of like this big group dynamic. So I wasn't, like, actively ignoring her. I just wasn't putting in any effort whatsoever to, like, engage her unless she engaged me. And the couple times that she did, when I mentioned, she was like, asking me like, oh, where, where should we stay? Where should I put my stuff? I didn't have the answers to those questions. So I didn't go out of my way to like, you know, for, for lack of a better word, suck her dick and be like, oh, let me help you with that stuff. And like, you know, act like a lot mm-hmm. of guys would do to try to, you know, go out of their way for a pretty girl. Um, so it was more of just like me kind of engaging other people when we were at, so during the day, like at the house all day, we didn't really have much of a, much of an interaction. At one point we we're all sitting out by the table, like having a, a group conversation. But, um, you know, I was basically just, you know, I, I wasn't showing any interest and I wasn't asking her any rapport sort of questions. And, <clears throat> and it was funny too, because I wanted so badly to bring up the whole text exchange that we had from like years before in an effort to like, like, Oh, remember how we had like all this fun texting and like, you know, basically to, to try to remind her that she was into me. But I knew if I did that, I would show my cards. 
and I knew that wasn't the right play. Um, so I waited to do that until after we had sex, and and it was a lot more uh, <laughs> it was a lot more rewarding, I guess you could say, or uh, you know whatever that word is. So does that? Oh, and then at Laurel Hardware, um, I pretty much totally ignored her at Laurel Hardware because that's when she really started getting lots of attention from dudes. You know, we're out of the bar. Like she was getting nonstop attention from guys. And then my friend who was over at the house acting like an idiot was like gaming her super hard. And, um, you know, I didn't want to compete with that nonsense, which is why I basically like made fun of him um, in a way where he couldn't tell because he was wasted. And then I, I was like, this is stupid. I'm not going to try. And I fell asleep at the table and I, I intentionally fell asleep at the table versus leaving and going up to my bed because I wanted that opportunity to happen. Um, I wanted to see if someone would like come to me and, and, you know, get me awake. And like, it's funny now that I think about it, I've used that strategy numerous times in in these sorts of situations where like girls are staying with you or you're you're in like a house, like just, if you're going to fall asleep, fall asleep in a high traffic area. Um, or if you're going to be antisocial, like do it in a high traffic area. Like you want to just be on your phone and it gives girls the opportunity to show you attention. And the only girl that's going to show you attention is a girl that, you know, is somewhat interested. So it's a great way to, to kind of test, to see if you have any, uh, you know, any live ones at the poker table. All right. Not cool. a very good but you get the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to get into that more, like, so there's so many like little moves that I have to, to test for attraction and to try to instigate getting love back, you know, like touching is one of them. Like when you, when you start an interaction by being more touchy feely in a casual friendly way, I'm not talking about touching her in any sort of sexual way whatsoever. But if you establish the fact that you're comfortable, you're like the type of person who, who engages other people physically like Europeans just do this naturally. Like, you know, think of the Italian uncle who just like, he sees everyone, he gives them a big kiss. He's like, he's hugging people. That's just like the culture. You're not like over the top, annoying and obnoxious like that guy, but you're comfortable touching people. And if, uh, if you're like really standoffish and you keep your distance, it makes it really hard for her to touch you. So when you establish that from the get go, it puts you in, in a good situation where she'll start touching you more often. Um, other things I do, like I mentioned in some of the stories are, you know, the hand test where if I, if I hold her hand and she's willing to like interlace her fingers with mine, then it's totally game on. Um, you know, the whole, like not giving her attention, not seeking rapport and waiting for her to give me attention and seek rapport. Like if we're fucking around and joking, that's one thing. But if she starts asking me rapport based questions, then I know she's interested on some level because she wants to know like who I am. So does that explain it for you, TJ? Yeah, it definitely helps. Thank you. I can totally see you implementing the fall asleep tactic. Yeah, I know. I was just thinking about it. I was like, that's like a fantastic idea. And I'm going to definitely <laughs> start using that. So I'm going to use that up. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I have a question. Um, in regards to to day game, um, do you also implement the push and pull? Definitely, but 
I'm curious to your question. Why do you feel like maybe, how is it possible that maybe I don't explain that? If I am initiating the conversation, wouldn't it be, I guess, on the side of that you wanted to, to meet her already? So then how do you pull away? Right. Oh, okay. So in any situation where you don't have social proof, you know, the girl doesn't know you. She hasn't read your dating profile. She doesn't know who your friends are. She has no idea who you are and what you're about. Um, and, and especially if like she hasn't even seen you. Like, for example, if you stop a girl in New York City walking down the street, like she hasn't even seen you before. It's one thing if she's seen you at a bar and she sees that you're hanging out with other cool people. You can get social proof based on that. But like a total, total cold approach, like approaching a girl on the street who like doesn't see you coming at all. Like there's only one thing you can do. And that's, <laughs> and that's pull. Like that's, you know, show interest and initiate the conversation, try to build some attraction. And you do that by following our day game protocol, you know, making her laugh, showing that you're chill, uh, making her feel comfortable. And right away, like, once you get the attraction, if, if she laughs at the first line, if you use the one third creepy line and she laughs at that too, um, and she shows you kind of like that physical love, if she kind of lights up like a Christmas tree and, and you can tell she's attracted to you, um, that's when I know I can start doing, you know, I can push away a little bit or pull away a little bit. You know, that's when I can stop showing interest. And I'll do that in conversation by not being such an eager beaver. Like when I first started day gaming, my conversations were like, you know, like if you watch the video that Joel posted or that I posted of Joel, for example, in the group, um, you know, he's driving the conversation. He's asking all the questions. He's really eager to say like, to agree with her. Oh yeah. Really cool. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Oh yeah. Cool. Like he's very eager to agree and to please her because our society taught us that if we agree with people and please them, we think we'll get what we want from them. Um, and that's usually not true <laughs> when it comes to dating and relationships and, and attracting women. So I'll do the opposite. You know, I'll ask her, like, you know, I'll start off with, so where are you coming from? Where are you going? And if she says, like, oh, I'm coming from work and I'm going to Soul Cycle, I'll start teasing her about Soul Cycle. I'll be like, oh man, another soul cycle uh, fanatic. Are you like a once a once a week soul cycler? Or are you like a twice a day full on cult member? <laughs> right. So I'm I'm not calling her a cult member like straight up, but I'm teasing her that she could be one, right? Because soul cycle is kind of like a cult, and this is where like having great conversation skills is huge. Because if I didn't have good conversation skills, if I'm not you know, very well versed in pop culture. If I don't know what soul cycle is and I say, what's soul cycle? I'm going to look like a humongous, like weirdo loser guy that never leaves the house. And immediately any attraction I've built is going to completely go away. And she's probably going to be like, if this guy doesn't know what soul cycle is, I have no use for him in my social life whatsoever. Um, so saying retarded stuff, not being abreast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <she's> gonna... <laughs> but not being abreast of like normal, like pop culture things can really shoot you in the foot and having 
like an arsenal of interesting stuff to say can allow you to really kind of push away and demonstrate that push pull, like calling her a cult member. If she tells me that she's a nurse and I tell her that all nurses are crazy and I have a theory about nurses and that they, you know, they have to deal with sick people all day. So when they're out at night, they're like crazy rage monster partiers. And an example of me kind of pushing away, be like, I can tell you're like crazy rage monster partying chick. Like I probably even, I don't know. I'd go out with you and you'd like, I don't know. I'd drink me under the table and I'd end up in a gutter somewhere. Like that's an example of, of pulling away. Right. I'm not agreeing with her. I'm, I'm teasing her. Like teasing is, is basically how I pull away in a day game interaction. You don't want to try too hard to tease girls about everything, but if you're listening to the if you're really listening to what she says and um, what, you know, it takes a lot of reps to get to the point where, where you're present enough in the conversation to be able to do that. Um, but I'll challenge her on stuff. If she'll be like, you know, I don't know if she says something that's clearly wrong. I'll call her on it in a non-condescending way. Um, you know, I'll, I'll look for ways to do that. And that's, that's in essence how you do it in day game. And um, if you've done that right, she'll start to show you more love and she'll really contribute to the conversation. And it'll be a, you know, a 50, 50 ideally push pull is you're pushing and pulling at the same rate she is. Right. Sometimes there is no push pull. Sometimes it's just like a total layup. Like you're both pushing, 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 and then you're in the bedroom or pulling, pulling, pulling. I, I keep interchanging the meanings of, of push and pull, but you know, you guys get the point. You're both just showing each other a lot of love and it's there at no point do you have to kind of pull away. Um, and the whole point of knowing this is, is when you can tell, you need to be able to know when to not show that love and you need to be able to also have a way of expressing the love in a way that doesn't make you like too over the top, too aggressive, um, you know, too into her. And I think that's where a lot of guys go wrong by studying too much pickup material is all they're doing is constantly like trying to make the girl laugh, being the dancing monkey, being a clown, like looking for her approval and she has absolutely no chance to invest in that interaction and show him any love back. Cause he's just like all over it. Like if I fire 10 interview questions that you can, I'm like, so what do you do? What's your favorite color? Where'd you grow up? What's your major? What was your favorite, you know, topic to, to study in school? Like, what was your first car? Like, and I don't give you the chance to, to ask me a question back Then I'm never, I'm just, you know, pushing the entire time. And no one's going to find any value in something they don't have to work for. And if she doesn't have to work to get you at all, then she's not going to find value in you and she's not going to accept it. Comprende? I don't quite understand that, Robbie. Can you, can you say that last thing you said right at the end? We don't value things that we don't invest in, right? Um, like none of you guys would value the group if it was totally free just how it works like you'd have no skin in the game you'd your time would be spent on other things that you pay for right <laughs> um if college was free like people probably wouldn't go right the fact that you're paying a gazillion dollars makes you like really want to try and get good grades and that whole system is basically set up you know that well it's not the greatest example because there's so many factors and 
and moving parts and levers in that whole education system. But basically, like if a girl doesn't have to try to win you over, if she feels like you'll just fuck her because she's hot and you'll fuck anyone who's hot, then it just shows that you're not a person of value. You're not a person of standards. And, and if you're just totally like an easy layup, there, there's no, you know, there's no chase for her. Um, there's no fun. There's the, the whole dynamic of like, is this going to happen? Like, you know, I really want this guy. Am I going to get him? Like if you give girls the opportunity to game you, that's how they're going to fall in love with you. Like no girl's falling in love with a guy that she doesn't have to work for. And the reason why, you know, I've like never been dumped, you know, by a girl is that I've actually dated, like dated a girl for longer than a month, never been dumped. It's because they're always working for my attention. They're always working to get me um, because I'm busy with like my business, with life, with my friends. And, you know, obviously I spend a lot of time with them too, but like I treat myself as the prize and I'm not faking it. I actually, I actually believe that and operate like that. And any time that, you know, someone puts in a significant amount of work to like gain your love, affection, attention, they're going to fall in love with you. That's just human dynamics, you know, how, how humans have evolved somehow. So the whole dating process and courting process that has to be apparent throughout, like if you're just all over a girl and Thomas, that's kind of like your MO, like before you were in this group and now you're kind of seeing the air in your ways, like, you just put it all on the table. Like, Oh, I think you're awesome. I think you're amazing. Like you're beautiful. Just showering them with compliments, like just totally on their jock. You don't give them a chance to like be on yours. They're never going to see value in you. And they're just going to use you. They're going to walk all over you. If they can, you know, use you for whatever sorts of financial compensation or use you for your resources, they will because they can, but they won't respect you and they won't do anything for you. Like the fact that that girl like bought Maxwell dinner and like, <laughs> yeah, it was a direct correlation because he didn't try to game her. Like she said, let's just be friends. And he was like, okay, cool, fine. And then most other guys in that situation would still continue to game her, but he was like, I'm not going to play that game. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks for clarifying that. So this just in, Tinder just partnered with uh, Instagram, and now on your Tinder profile, um, your Instagram feed um, comes up below it. So you don't have to reference your Instagram account anymore. It physically shows it on the Tinder app, only emphasizing what I've been preaching for three to four months about the importance <laughs> of your Instagram. And if you have blame fucking Instagram, it's going to sh- expose you. Nice. So basically, if, if you really look at what that means, Tinder is becoming like, you know, there is now social proof, a huge social proof aspect of Tinder. Because imagine if a girl's swiping and she sees someone she knows, like a friend of a friend in one of your Instagram pictures. I mean, you're not going to get any more like third party validation than that. In my marketing meetings with them, what they've been really pushing is that this is a social network and it's where people meet. It's not necessarily just a dating app or a fuck app. Um, and they're really reinforcing that. And I think that 
with the Tinder validation, or sorry, with the Instagram validation that this is a real person, um, it like has such a bigger thing over Hinge or Coffee Meets Bagel because of the mutual friend thing. Um, it's it just a real life um, exposure of who that person is, and, and it will it will debunk a lot of the fake accounts. Oh, great! Good to know about Tinder. Tinder's been going really well. I guess we've been getting phone numbers. You can they're just flooding in. It's exciting. Thanks for hooking yeah. me up with that, Maxwell. Yeah, I'm glad. You need to uh, up your Instagram game now. And, and you know what, Thomas, your uh, your photo taking ability, your and also like the way you present photos in your social media, like is pretty good. I feel like you would do really well with Instagram, or you know, like just based on on what how you understand and. Um, what you take pictures of, like your cover page is pretty great right now. Um, I mean, your, your photo and your image is a little light and hazy, but it still does the job. So put it on Instagram. All right. All right. So the key to Instagram is just, just flood it with cool pictures. Just uh, uh, basically yeah. the idea. Don't, don't worry about anything. Yeah. Do it in fashion, like, you know, and, and make it unique. Um, you know, take a picture of the sunset one night, take a picture of, of you wakeboarding the next day, but like upload pictures at your discretion and make it in a, you know, do it in a timely fashion where you're not doing five photos in a row. Anything else, guys? I have one last yeah. question. In terms of like the ignoring tactics where you're just, you know, treating her as a friend and not showing her any special attention, does that, can that work over like a long term? Or is that just more like a one night thing or over this a period of a few times that you're together? Good question. That strategy works really well if you're like the center of attention, right? If you have high social status within your group, that strategy works really well. Um, you know, with the Genevieve situation, it was my house. She was working for me. She knew that. You know, the two guys, Ken and Cameron, were my client. Her friend, Jesse, was my business partner. So, like, all roads led to Rome, right? I was a very pivotal piece of that social hierarchy. And that gave me the, you know, that freedom to basically do nothing, right? Because your status is so important. If I was just, like, let's say she knew that I was a client in that situation, and it wasn't my house and I was just staying there and I played the ignored game, it probably wouldn't have worked out, right? Because I'm already lower social status because she knew I was a client and she had understand the, she had already understood the situation. Like typically if, if we're doing a live-in and like a girl comes over, like, you know, she has no idea that we have like clients with us. Like we wouldn't salt you guys like that, but she was there specifically to like help us write a book so she needed to know that. And she had been around forever. She wasn't like a new girl. She was like a, a longtime friend of Jesse. So like, let's say if, if I look back to like high school, I was really quiet. I didn't know anyone. And I certainly didn't give any girls any attention whatsoever, but they never gave me attention either because I wasn't someone worth meeting. Right? I didn't have any right. sort of status or value. I wasn't intriguing. I wasn't doing anything cool. So why would they bother? Mm-hmm. So, you know, to give you guys, to give you one other example, I've told the Minnie Mouse story many, many times, like the infamous first night after reading the game, I went out and pulled a chick 
it was a total smoke show, kind of dumb luck. But one thing really stood out after I read the book was the whole, like, you know, if everyone else is showing her love, don't be another loser showing her love. And um, I was out with my buddy Hunter and we went to a house party and the smoke show was there. And, you know, I walked in, I introduced myself to everyone and then I didn't like stick around and like get to know her. I, I went and I basically like started playing drinking games at the table and completely ignored her ignored her at the bar for the first like two hours to the point where the only interaction I'd had with her at the house was, Hey, I'm Robbie. So we're at the bar and that's when I walked up to her and I said, you know, you kind of look like a, a cute version of Minnie Mouse. And that's when that whole, you know, <laughs> that was the first attention I gave her. So she had kind of, she knew me from the party beforehand she knew I had friends who were cool. She knew I was part of the social circle. And then when I, you know, I didn't show her any love and then I gave her attention, but I kind of did it in like a teasing way. Like that line is like a, a straight stupid neg out of the game, right? It's like designed to get a reaction from a girl and it, it typically doesn't work. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, the whole idea of a neg is like a backhanded compliment and it's usually so contrived and lame that they don't work. But when they're, when they're real and they're natural, they can actually work. Like I tease girls all the time and give them backhanded compliments and tell them, you know, cool story, bro. when they tell a boring story. So the idea works. It's just that most guys using those tactics have no idea what the hell they're doing and they screw them up. It's basically like, if you're a no one, she doesn't know you from anyone. It's like a day game situation. And if you have status, you get to play the let her come to me game. And then there's all sorts of different variations in between. Right. So like if, if you're like just showing up to a party or something like a house party, so you don't, you mean you have some value because obviously they're, they probably know you, but other than that, you have none. Um, with the way to like make up for that, just be, trying to like play that jealousy thing where you're talking to other people and accept her. Well, you're not going to create any jealousy unless there's some sort of connection, right? Um, hmm. She's never going to get like jealous that you're talking to another girl unless she already likes you. Um, so basically what you want to do is you want to show that you're social, that you're cool, that you're, you're high value, high status by interacting with other people at the party by adding value to the conversation, Right. And not just in a one-on-one -on -one setting with her. Like, it's totally fine to, like, meet her, say what's up, but don't invest too much. Like, you know, spend just as much time chatting with the host, making rounds. It's kind of like working the room. Like, if I show up to a house party, my goal is to kind of meet anyone who I feel like is someone cool or anyone who's hosting the party and giving me access. I want to, you know, extend my you know, I want to try to connect with those people because they're doing me a solid. So I won't like go into like pickup mode and focus my efforts on just hitting on hot girls party and I'll interact with the host. I'll try to make the environment more fun. And if I do that and girls see me like bouncing around, talking to everyone, it looks like I know everyone that's just going to make me look better and make me look like more of an interesting guy that they want to meet. So if it's a huge house party, that doesn't really matter as much. Treat a huge house party more like a bar, right? People are going to be in their little tiny groups. You don't need, like, there, there's too much going on. No one's really paying attention. But if it's a smaller house party, like 20 people or less, like, then 
you know, those dynamics come into play a lot more. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Cool guys. Well, let's drop call. And, um, unless anyone else has any other questions. All right. Later guys.